Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, this is the start of a brand new series because we are in a brand new church season. We are now in the rather somber season of Lent. So uh, Lent started actually last week, last Wednesday for Ash Wednesday. Um, So if you have had a Lenten practice, You have probably already started it, but if you haven't started a Lenten practice and you would like to, it's not too late. There's nothing that says you can't go ahead and start today or tomorrow. That is completely fine. Um, But this Lent, we wanted to take a look at some of the Lenten practices that people have sometimes adopted. Um, Lenten practices are pretty varied. Um, Lots of people will give something up. Some people will start something new. Sometimes to other people, the thing that you adopt as a Lenten practice may seem pretty silly, but I think overall are not actually silly at all. They're just small gestures that you do throughout your day to help you reconnect with God in some way. Um, So we're going to take a look at some of those practices and we're going to talk about it and find out how can we connect this to our faith. So Erica, what are we going to talk specifically about today? Well, I think the big thing to to start out with is what you just ended on, Sarah, is connecting it to our faith. Because so often, and I want to speak for myself personally, I've been one who has regularly practiced giving up things for Lent. Um, I guess it's a little bit of the ca- kind of Catholic background in me. I was never, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I came from a Catholic family, at least Catholic partially adjacent. Catholic family, <laughs> Catholic adjacent family. Yes, and, and, and so it was just kind of some, one of those things that you do during Lent, like you give something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was younger, I don't think I made that connection that I'm doing this to grow my relationship with God. And, and I'm not saying that's true of everybody, mm-hmm. but I think it can be very easily like, because it's the thing that you do during Lent is you give something up or you take something on. We just do it out of habit without necessarily thinking, okay, how does this impact my relationship with God? Right. And I think that's a question that is worth asking out loud. Why would anybody think that, stopping doing something for 40 days in the springtime or adding something 40 days in the springtime would make a difference in their relationship with God. And does it automatically, or is it when done in a certain way? I guess that that's the, the additional piece I, I want to ask or, or put to both of you um, before we even talk about the history of where these kinds of things came from. Why might something like this affect my relationship with God? Sometimes it's just the fact that if you give something up there's this gap in your in your life suddenly right like you Mm -hmm. either have more time or you're missing eating something whatever it is and in those moments you go oh hey I'm not doing this thing I'm missing this thing why and it kind of reminds you like gives you a jolt of like oh because of God Mm -hmm. And And so then you're thinking about God in a time and a place that you might not normally think about God. 
Okay. Okay. I guess one of the things I want to put up a, a guardrail on, and this is, I will just fully own, this is the Lutheran in me. Uh, and we probably talked in, in some way over the years uh, in, in different uh, series around this season. Um, one of my nervousness uh, points is when we get the notion that like, God is impressed with or needs us to do things like this. So mm-hmm. that it's, and, and sometimes the temptation is, um, and sometimes we don't even realize we're loading ourselves with this guilt trip of Jesus suffered after all. Or like when I was a kid, the it was sort of like this implicit, well, Lent is 40 days because Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. And like the unspoken, like in the air was, so you can give up chocolate for 40 days because Jesus ain't nothing. I mean, like almost like Jesus suffering was immense. Yours is small and tiny. So quit your complaining. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, then it becomes that the reason we do things is to sm- suffer in small ways as if, like, t- either to microdose suffering or to, like, make ourselves somehow more like Jesus as though sheer suffering is what makes one Christ-like. Um, and I don't know that that's true. I mean, every time I stub my toe and choice words come out of my mouth, I don't feel particularly Christ-like. Um, but I guess I'd like that. That's the guardrail I want to put up is that like, we not frame this as, okay, well, you're, there's, there's more empty space in your life. So think about how Jesus suffered and therefore you should suffer or Jesus suffered more so that you don't have to suffer as quite as much. You only suffer a little bit. Like there, there's a, it's an easy jump to make, but I, to me, it feels like that's the wrong jump to make. Yes. I, and I think in a similar vein, um, so the, so if you're, you follow the revised common lectionary, like your congregation does, um, the reading that comes up every year for Ash Wednesday is like telling his disciples to, um, be careful of how you fast, be careful of how you do blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, you know, don't make a big deal about it. Like when you fast, don't, go around moaning that you're hungry. Um, you know, when you give alms, do it quietly. Don't be shouting it from the streets. Like you should be doing all of these things quietly because you're not doing it for recognition from your fellow man either. You're doing it because God is calling you to do it, whatever you're doing. Um, and so that's always the reading on Ash Wednesday, right before the pastor takes (laughs) some ash and marks you on the forehead to, you know, show your piety. Um, And so that, that always um, strikes me every year that that's what we are preaching on right before we mark people's foreheads to show what a good Christian they are. They went to service on Ash Wednesday, Um, which is challenging, but yeah, it's, we're not, I encourage folks to not be doing a Lenten practice to be in competition with Jesus's suffering, but also not to be in competition with each other about our sufferings mm-hmm. for Lent. And, you know, it's not something that you need to be shouting about because it's it's your your own personal practice that you're doing to reconnect to God. In, in that regard, the idea of small things that one might choose to forego are in some ways could be the perfect way to thread the needle of Jesus' warning is that if I'm very quietly, personally, you know, I'm not going to drink coffee or I'm not going to have chocolate or I'm going to let go of doing this on my smartphone or something like that, it's something that is theoretically not noticeable to anybody else uh, unless they really have paid attention to my life. And that, that that allows me to do this as a as a discipline of like learning how to live without this thing for a time uh, or to turn my focus somewhere else for a time. 
Um, and it avoids me having to shout from the rooftops because it's not something that is a major accomplishment. It's not build the statue to me. I'm living without chocolate. It's, it's a little thing. I'm, but I'm trying to, in this small way, uh, maybe g get a little bit of a course correction. To me, this also sets out uh, what I, I can remember uh, a professor in seminary who used to point out when you're going to give something up for Lent, it shouldn't be something that is already sinful or bad. I mean, like when we talk about, you know, letting go of chocolate or coffee or something like that, it's not to say chocolate is sinful, uh, but to say it is a luxury. And sometimes it is appropriate to live without a luxury and maybe to say the money I would have spent on that I will use for something else. But it's not like I'm going to give up cussing and gossip. But as soon as Easter comes, I'm taking them right back up. No, <laughs> those are things we should not be doing already. That's different. That's not a Lenten practice. That's just trying to stop being a jerk. <laughs> okay. Devil's advocate here. All right. Okay. I think that if you are struggling with something like gossip, okay, Lent would be a good time to try to stop doing that. I, I agree. Because I yeah. think you don't need to stop Lenten practices. Right, right, right. yeah. And, like, and at all. Like, so if you are struggling with something, um, whether it's gossiping or even a caffeine addiction, Mm -hmm. And you want to say, for 40 days, I'm going to be very intentional about this thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever it is, because I don't think it's good for me. I don't think it is what God wants me to do. I'm going mm -hmm. to give it up for 40 days and be super intentional about it. Um, but then once Easter comes along, I'm not going to necessarily come back to it. Right. But I don't, at that point, I will hopefully not need to be as intentional about it because yeah. like um, I've given up caffeine before for, um, for Lent because I am a caffeine addict. <laughs> um, and like, you know, it's one of those things that I feel better not drinking it, but I nearly always like go back to it but sometimes it's Lent is such a good time to like detox from it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, because it's a set thing, I know that my spouse, he loves giving things up for Lent. So I know I'm not alone in giving something up. Um, and then, you know, the first couple of days are awful and then it's better. Yeah. Um, and so it's e like Lent is a good time to kind of just stop <laughs> doing it. Um, so yeah, I would say. Yes, Lent could be a time for you to give up that bad practice that you have and be really intentional about it. I, I appreciate the way you say that, because I think that helps. And maybe the difference is, is that honesty with ourselves about like um, that being able to say if there's something that is just a, a rotten practice, I shouldn't be doing in the first place, but I need a, a, a rhythm and I need a routine and I need a, something that will help me to break that habit. Yeah, using Lent as a way to do that, it's fine. Um, but it's also then I can tell myself, but this isn't something I should pick back up to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord in ways mm -hmm. that coffee or chocolate or whatever. Yeah, it's not that. And, and maybe to be able to distinguish, it's fine at any point in life to decide I want to work on self-improvement. And if there's some small habit I can do, great. If it's helpful to have, and I don't want to say as a gimmick, but to have as a reason for why, if Lent gives you a structure to do that, great. And yet, if I'm also at a place where there's no particular vice of mine, but I feel like, but there are things that I could 
take out of my life for a season that might help me in in my focus on God, that's also an appropriate thing. But it's maybe that honesty with the outset is, is this something that's a temporary thing or is this, no, I'm trying to kick this as a habit and I'm using Lent as a way to do that. I think either is appropriate. Yeah, because likewise, I am a fan of um, people adding practices during Lent Mm -hmm. instead of taking away a practice, but like adding something on. And I like a very popular thing that you start up during Lent is maybe a Bible reading plan or Mm -hmm. something. Um, I don't think anybody would ever argue that, oh, once Easter happens, you no longer have to continue your Bible reading. Like, no, it's, it's, I think with the assumption that you're going to start this practice and then you're going to hopefully continue that practice. Sure. Sure. Even into the Easter season and even into summer and fall and winter and back through the next Lent. And on the flip side, there are times when, like in, in the congregations where I serve, we started this practice in the last several years of picking up a book that we're going to invite people to read together as a Lenten book thing. And like, again, not with the thought of it's uh, a burdensome to read a book. I hope it's enjoyable. But OK, if you need I bet you could read a book in the 40 days of Lent. And if you need to carve something else out of your day, I'm going to read or I'm going to watch 15 minutes less of TV every day or whatever. That's fine. But like. Then it comes to an end, not because that's the only time you're allowed to read, but sometimes we need the structure. We're all going to do this together, and it's harder to have a book group if you read it in February, you read it in June, you read it in November, that kind of thing. Um, I guess I, I think this is a helpful moment, too, for us to say, if all this makes it sound like Lent is a human invention, yes, that's because Lent is a human invention, and that's okay, right? That um it's not that we are only allowed to do things or observe things that you can find in the Bible. This is something the church has invented. And if it's useful and allows us to use structures like that to turn our hearts and focus in a particular way on the story of Jesus and then to prepare us for the central story of our faith of the death and resurrection of Jesus, great. Um, but not to pretend that this got carved on stone tablets from Mount Sinai. Um, there's a lot more of the freedom of play of you might try this, you might try this, you might try this. And I, I guess to me, that makes this a whole lot less scary and a whole lot more inviting that people who either have never had the experience of doing something for Lent or letting go of something or changing their routines for Lent. Oh, I could try this because it's not like if I get it wrong, I'm breaking a commandment. It's more like I'm trying this particular approach uh, to deepening my spirituality. And if I don't get it exactly right, or I don't do it all 40 days, or I start a week late because I listen to the podcast on the first Tuesday in Lent or whatever, (laughs) it's okay. These are not hard and fast rules. And there's nothing magic about the number 40 either. Right. So like if you end your Lenten practice early, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And not to not to see this necessarily as uh, my willpower buckled and I just wasn't tough enough or strong enough, because that sort of leads us back into the, the point of Lent is for me to be tough for Jesus. Jesus did not need me to be tough. Jesus is strong enough for me. Um, but if there's some sense of, could I be stretched in ways I need to be stretched. Yeah. And maybe life throws you a curve and there's some reason that you have to stop whatever your dietary changes were, or, you know, you need to stop doing whatever you temporarily done. Yeah. That's not a moral failure. And I think sometimes we can be great at heaping on additional moral failure Mm -hmm. into this and making it, well, you didn't make it more, more than two weeks through Lent. So what a failure you are. That's one more sin to confess. Well, no, that wasn't really the point. I remember one time in college that I failed my Lenten what I was giving up on Ash Wednesday. 
Aww. <laughs> I, like, I was giving up chocolate. And I was in college and I was used to having chocolate milk every night with my dinner in the cafeteria. And I sat down with my friends. We've gone to service. You know, I have my little cross on everything. I have my dinner and I look at my cup afterwards. I'm like, guys, I had chocolate milk. (laughs) Because it was just a habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it it, it happens. You know, I laughed at it then. I laugh at it now. Like, right. you know, it happens. In that moment, Erica, did you restart your Lenten practice the next day or did you just say oh oh well that's Lent for me this year I guess <laughs> try no, again re- next year I restarted the next day it was just like it was such an ingrained habit for me right. to go right, over right. where they had the milk in the cafeteria and just get the chocolate milk that yeah and I drank it all <laughs> because I didn't even think about it I'm like oh crap it's Ash Wednesday uh I guess to me, we're starting tomorrow. To me, this feels like this is this is a really helpful illustration of the freedom we have in this, and that maybe to me that that that's the right spirit to take all this in. That if if the thing that you are changing in your life, whether taking on or letting go of, you either have a hiccup or you forget a day or something like that. If it's something that is not like wicked sin, you can be like, okay, well, this is a practice. I'm going to start over again tomorrow. If it is something that is a terrible wicked thing or something that is grave and serious, I think about people who are in recovery in like a twelve step group. And if you've been sober 30 years and you relapse, you don't say, well, that was my chance. That was my lifetime. You start Mm -hmm. over again tomorrow and you go with your one day chip tomorrow that like there is always the possibility of starting over again. Um, And I in in, in a way, I guess I hope our, our wider sense of Christian spirituality is of perennially being every day being able to start over again in in lutheran circles we often talk about luther's language about uh remembering our baptism every day and that sort of you know constant dying and and rising with every new day um and that if that that lent then doesn't change those rules that like it's not like oh for this season sorry there's no redos yes there are redos because grace abounds even in lent um and that, that gives us the freedom then to try what might help me to connect more meaningfully with God that would interrupt my routines enough, but also maybe create new routines uh, in some ways that make me more fully alive. What are the kinds of things then that people might take on or that we'll be spending more time in this series looking at? So for me, one of my new practices for 2023 so like this wasn't a Lenten practice, but it's uh, something I've adopted for this year is I've started a prayer journal. Mm. But I think for Lent, I'm going to like dive in deeper with it because today, right now it's not an everyday thing. It's a couple times a week. Uh, so that's something that I've started, but I want to be more intentional about in Lent. So like that would be a practice for like starting that I want to talk more about as opposed to giving something up. Yeah, okay. Other topics you think you'll want to explore in this series? I don't know if we'll explore, but along those same lines, Sarah, at least in years past, what I've done in Lent is I have taken time, usually I'll I'll fast through a meal and I'll take that time to pray for, I'll I'll post it on Facebook or something like, how can I be praying for you? And then, Mm -hmm dedicate that time specifically to praying for friends, family, um, mm-hmm. church members that maybe that I would, I'd be praying for anyways, but maybe they're sharing something with me because I have yeah. made that offer. Yeah. Um, 
I think that helpfully frames to the the whole way we've been navigating the spirituality of this. That it's that if the idea is okay, I'm gonna refrain from eating one this one meal, and in that time, I'm gonna be available for prayer. It's clear that it's not like food is sinful and bad, or I'm impressing mm-hmm. God by not eating, but more like there's only so much time in the day, and when we talk about spiritual improvement, sometimes it can feel like you can't get blood from a turnip, right? I mean, like how, how, where am I going to find the time or energy in my, well, I'm making room. So here's this, this place in my life. I'm making room for prayer. I'm making room for this discipline because I'm carving out other things. And so then it, it, it's not about, look, God, look what I'm doing. And more like I'm making room for this thing in this time of my life. That, that to me feels so much healthier and so much more aware of there's no need to impress God, nor is there the ability to impress God. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's such an important thing to remember that we don't need to impress God. Um, Cause I would say that my one year I had a failed Lenten practice was last year. I tried giving up fiction, like mm. fiction writing um, that instead of reading fiction books or listening to fiction books on uh, my commute, I would instead consume religious works like by theologians or church historians um, because I wanted to have more space in my life for those types of writing that often get pushed to the side. I don't do as much as I want to. Um, So I was just like, okay, I'm not going to read any fiction. And in a lot of ways, it was really, really good. Um, because I did discover that my library has an impressive um, theological audiobook selection. <laughs> like for a local public library, they have a really good selection. So I discovered some of those books. Um, but also, I think ultimately, I was just trying to impress God by like, oh, look, I gave up my rom-com <laughs> stories. And now I'm instead reading this uh theologian like look look at me god um and i didn't actually read more theological works other than like the two audiobooks that i listened to in the car um it just instead i just didn't have my fiction books that i enjoy in my mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. i i think this is helpful too is you you've kind of talked too about the way that um all this talk about practices and Lent can sound like we are blurring the line between what the wider world might just call having New Year's resolutions or, you know, practices for self-improvement mm-hmm. and Lent. And instead of driving a real rigid wedge between those that no one is holy and one is, uh, you know, profane and secular and worldly, um, I keep coming back to a line of um, Irenaeus who says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And to take that seriously, I think, means anything that makes us more fully alive is both glorifying to God and is uh, appropriately thought of as spiritual. Um, and so then to say that the things that we take on or let go of in the season of Lent don't have to have little crosses stamped onto them in order to, or, ha- or be draped in Lenten purple or happen under a steeple or something like that. But um, to the extent that they're about being more fully authentically human, um, if they affect how we eat and what we eat, if they affect our relation to creation, if they affect the way we relate to other people, if they open us up to be more attuned to other people's needs through you know, inviting prayer requests, all of those are appropriate um, because none of them have to worry about impressing. And it's all just about how, if God's will in my life is for me to be more fully and authentically alive, um, 
then yeah, how do I pursue that? And sometimes we learn that by learning new habits. I'm reminded of an observation from, um, this is a little bit embarrassing, from uh, an early Rob Bell piece. Um, uh, I think one of his first speaking tours and videos was called Everything is Spiritual. And um, the opening bit that was where that title comes from, he, he points out, and I think this is accurate, he says that there's no word in Hebrew for spiritual um, because everything is seen as, and there's no part of our life that is like the separate secular versus sacred. Everything has to do with God. Um, and so while there's certainly a difference between holy and profane, you might say in the Hebrew scriptures, um, everything has a spiritual dimension to it. And so every part of our lives has some way of either bringing us more closely in connection and in tune with God and therefore with neighbor and one another or alienating us from God and from neighbor. And so I guess I hope that sets the tone for where we go in this series, that sometimes our, our episodes might at first look like, well, this is a dinky little thing to talk about in Lent. This doesn't seem like it's going to change the world. And it might not on the surface, but everything has a way of being significant, even if it's small. So to find out what some of those things are, we'll invite you to join us <laughs> next time here, this Lent on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.